I want to welcome Douglas Hoffman, the Executive Director of NORMI, which is the National Organization of Remediators and Microbial Inspectors, to our episode today. And for those of you that have been following us, we've been doing uh, interviews with uh, influential people in the indoor air quality, outdoor air quality, and firefighting arena, all dealing with the wildfires coming out of Canada. So, Doug, welcome. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. I'm glad to have you. <clears throat> you know, you have an extensive background in building science. And one of the things that came up with some of the uh, interviews that we've been going through since the wildfires in Canada started affecting the central and middle part of the U.S. is what do people do? You know, you, you can't stop breathing. You know, that's just not an option. <laughs> you know, people can go, we've talked about this earlier, you know, 20 to 40 days without food. They can go three to seven days without water, four to six minutes without air. So no option there. So you have to be able to continue to breathe. So we normally have people that complain about indoor air quality without smoke, without all these other external uh, things going on. What can people do to try to help themselves when they're in conditions like this, where you can't go outside, where the air is normally better than inside? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question, Lance. Because uh, it's it's funny because it, it seems as though sometimes when these kinds of things happen, all of a sudden something that we actually should face and should deal with every single day, all of a sudden now becomes a real problem. We don't think a lot about the air that we're breathing inside because, frankly, we can't see it, and because we can't see it because there's not a cloud or a haze uh, in our indoor environment, we don't think much about. Uh, what it is that we're actually breathing. Uh, I've talked about that sometimes with the bottled water. Do you know what's in the bottled water you drink? Well, if you can't see it, you're not terribly concerned. And so one of the things that then piques our interest is when we do identify something, either by uh, an odor or by something that we see that's floating around in the air, now all of a sudden it becomes an issue. Uh, you know, in our classes, we talk a lot about this shaft of light that you see in the morning. You don't typically see all that stuff floating around, and so you don't think about it. But in the shaft of light, when the light's beaming in and you see all these little submicron particles fly, flying around, you're thinking, okay, what is this stuff that I'm actually breathing? And so now we're in a situation where all of a sudden I'm smelling inside of my house something that I shouldn't be smelling inside of my house, a forest fire. You know, where is that coming from? And why is it that I'm smelling it inside of my house? And I think it's interesting when you think about the way houses are constructed today uh, or buildings, even commercial buildings are constructed today. It really isn't surprising uh, that we are beginning to to smell inside the contaminants that we're seeing outside. And, and some people live close to paper, paper mills, for instance, and they're going to notice that there's something going on outside. Now, all of a sudden, they smell it inside. Now it's an issue. Now, how do I deal with it? Well, you know, to put it into a context that everybody's going to understand, you gave the example of a bottle of water. Well, that water is filtered and processed. The indoor air quality isn't. And because of that, you're running into issues with people having to visualize a problem if that bottle of water was brown or cloudy nobody would drink it if yeah. the air is cloudy or brown they don't have a choice you still have to breathe so what do you yeah. do 
Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Well, of course, the the I think the main thing is 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 trying to figure out where that's coming from inside of the house. How is it getting into the house? And are there things I can do that can can actually mitigate that? And one of the big differences in the way I look at building construction from I know uh, some some builders do is they talk about a house being able to breathe. I'm not altogether sure that they know exactly what they're saying when they say that. Uh, does a house need to breathe? Well, it certainly needs to have a balanced pressure of some sort. But if the house is pulling in things from the outside, say it's under negative pressure, uh, you're creating a vacuum inside the house. What is it that you're pulling in from the outside and where is where are those contaminants coming from? You know, this uh, the smoke that we smell, the smoke that we smell is not just uh, a problem because we're smelling it. I'm sure you've already addressed through some of the, the people that you've talked with, there are some pretty strong contaminants in that smoke that we're breathing. And uh, how do you mitigate that? How do you keep that from coming inside of your house? So I have a couple of suggestions that that uh, might help when you start thinking about things like air infiltration issues, uh, the, uh, the idea of fresh air makeup. Fresh air makeup, of course, is a great idea to bring air in from the outside through your air conditioning system. But the question is, is there a way to reduce that or to mitigate that? So I have some ideas that that uh, I might be able to share here that people could do pretty quickly to begin to seal off what's going on on the outside. That's at least one step, and that's to begin to seal up that environment so that you're not bringing stuff in from the outside. That was one of the uh, questions and concerns that came up when I actually did an episode with uh, Michael Pinto over sensitized individuals that normally indoor air quality is up to 10 times worse than the outside air. So people that are sensitized, which is like 20% of the population, they go outside to feel better. When the outside is, you know, so choked with smoke from uh, campfire, not campfires, forest fires, thousands of miles away, you know, what do you do? Now you got to retreat back to the area that's a problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. So for sensitized individuals, one of the methods that we use to determine uh, how are those things getting inside the house is by doing what's called a blower door test. And essentially what they do is they take off the front door and they'll install a door that has a gigantic fan on it. And then they'll turn that fan on and put the house under negative pressure. Essentially, what you're doing is you're creating a a vacuum inside of the home. And guess what happens when you do that? Now, all of a sudden, you're pulling air in through the cracks and crevices around the windows, cracks and crevices around the doors, uh, places that you don't really even think about. A lot of people don't realize that wall cavities, exterior wall cavities, actually breathe. And what I mean by that is, is that moisture and vapor will actually move through those walls. And so now all of a sudden, when that house is set up under negative pressure, and you run a blower door test, created that vacuum. Now what you're doing is you're even pulling it through the electrical outlets. And whatever is in that wall cavity is now coming into the air that you breathe. And that may sound really like, you know, that's a little too detailed for me. Do I really need to be that concerned? But that's the answer as to where are those things coming from. They're coming from the outside. Uh, Even if you kept your doors and windows closed, you're still going to smell that that smoke that's uh, from the outside. 
and whatever that smoke is carrying, you're actually going to be breathing. You know, I'm in New Jersey and we were directly affected by the smoke coming out of Canada from the fires. <clears throat> and four o'clock in the afternoon, the sun's high in the sky. We went through three days of not a cloud in the sky and it looked like sunset. I have some incredible pictures of that. But because of that, you know, trying to close up your house and, and make it airtight doesn't seem to work either. There's got to be a balance. There's got to be some way that you can survive inside and out other than just running away from the entire part of the country. <laughs> well, I wish there was an easier answer, but uh, there really isn't. I think that you do have to do the best you can to seal up those uh, cracks and crevices with weather stripping, with caulking. Uh, you know, they make a, a, a little product called a door saddle that fits on the bottom of the door where you can slide that down and tighten up the threshold so that there's not air coming in from underneath the door. I think once you do that, of course, as we've always said, it's got to be a holistic solution. That's at least part of the problem. But if you can take the time to seal off some of those entry points where the smoke is coming in from the outside, then you can address the indoor air quality with good filtration, good purification, those kinds of things that are more proactive in terms of oxidizing those contaminants that are in the air. So it definitely can be done. I think it's just uh, maybe a little more uh, effort than most people are willing to take. I think they'd almost rather go to the mall. You know, uh, during those four days that we had the really bad uh, smoke conditions here, <clears throat> I have I have monitors all over the place. I have outside monitors, inside monitors for my air uh, quality and conditions. And I have one unit called a FUBOT, which I know you're familiar with, in my office. I intentionally, in my office, did not run air purification. And I had a door open. I was keeping it open to the outside. The thing was glowing so bright orange. You probably saw it from Louisiana. You know, it was, <laughs> it was, it was just the air quality was absolutely awful. In the house, where I kept doors, windows closed, and ran a lot of... Uh, purification technologies, very proactive stuff. It was really fine. There was no odor inside the house. Um, whether I think we went a little bit on the positive pressure side, which would have helped with that also, <clears throat> you know, keeping everything out. But there was a tremendous, tremendous difference with that. I have uh, graphical readings that um, I, I actually show in an interview with uh, Dr. Gavin McGregor Skinner that shows in the morning, before the smoke hit the first day, everything was very low, almost not detectable on outdoor air quality. And as it hit, it spiked really high and yeah. stayed there for almost four and a half, five days. Slowly started to go away. But, you know, it went away. And again, people go back to the uh, out of sight, out of mind philosophy. I don't see this going away. There's a film all over everything that's out there from smoke, the ash that was out. What kind of concerns are there for long-lasting effects from the stuff that people have breathed in and what's still out there? Well, I think uh, I, I think that's a really good point. I, of course, I'm not a medical doctor, but I do know that uh, people who are breathing uh, poorly, poor quality air over a long period of time typically are going to have some, some pretty negative health effects. I mean, you think about all the people that have suffered from their efforts to solve the problems during 9-11. 
uh, all of the people that that uh, suffered after Hurricane Katrina, and they were in these contaminated environments working, and they weren't protecting themselves at all. You know that there's got to be some long range uh, concerns about those contaminants that are still hanging out. So I think the key is for me would be to do the best I can uh, while while it's going on right now, but do the best I can to keep the surfaces clean, to keep the air clean, uh, to keep the air purified and filtered, to do the best I can now so that I can uh, offset the potential for what might be a buildup of contamination over a long time, period of time. You might, I remember reading several years ago in Reader's Digest about a single cigarette producing over 4,000 chemical gases, 43 of which are carcinogenic. And the article went on to say, interestingly enough, that secondhand smoke that a person would be breathing who's not smoking was in some cases more dangerous than the person who was smoking, that it was affecting the person who was breathing that smoke worse than it was affecting the person who was actually doing the smoking. So I think there's a lot for us to learn uh, long term. But uh, at least to begin with, I think the answer is what can I do right now to make sure that I'm creating the cleanest environment that I possibly can? Because one of the things that I do have control over may not have any control over what's going on outside, but I certainly have control over what's going on inside. And you know as well as I do that there are ways that we can do that that will make sure that we're breathing the best air that we can breathe in spite of what's going on outside. I just want to change directions real quick because I uh, did another episode with uh, Dan Reese. He's a, let me get the his title. He is a wildfire strategist and an aviation advisor dealing with wildfires. And we spoke at length about some of the things that are going on out there, the lack of education, what people don't understand and know. And I said, what are you concerned about? <clears throat> and he talked about the two different types of wildfires. One is where it's burning a forest, putting smoke in the air from the trees, the brush and stuff like that. The other type is when it's burning a forest and starts burning homes and businesses and factories and putting all of these other unknown chemistries in the air. Right. <clears throat> you know, um, it takes it to a whole nother level. Now, in my area, they were talking about every news channel wearing your N95 mask or your N100 mask. Well, that's fine for larger particulates, but it's not going to do anything for the gases or the chemicals that are in the air. They go right through it like you're not wearing a mask whatsoever. You know, where's the concern on that? Yeah, I think we know that, don't mm -hmm. we? I mean, we all went through COVID where we were we were wearing masks and yet we could still smell a lot of what was going on around us and uh, the heavy perfume that somebody was wearing. So I think we got a pretty good education on the ineffectiveness of masking for smallest particles, the smaller submicron particles, and for the gases that are, that are in the air. So again, I, I don't know that there's an actual solution. I mean, I'm not kind of the kind of guy that's going to walk around outside in a hazmat outfit, you know. But the truth is, is that um, I think the recommendation that they made about staying inside is really not a bad one. If you can stay inside and you can control the, the, the air that you're breathing inside, if you don't have to go outside, then there's not a reason to, because you're you're exactly right. I, I think the, the thing that concerns me about these kinds of fires are all of the other contaminants that are in the air besides just the wood 
uh, burning particulate. Absolutely. And, you know, one, one final comment on the masks. Wearing a mask is going to help, but you can't get that full sense of security saying, oh, I'm wearing a mask, I'm protected, because you're only protected from some of the larger particulate, not the gases, the chemicals, and everything else, just like viruses would go right through a mask. So <clears throat> that, that's a definite concern. So without rebuilding your house, preparing for the next time the wind shifts and blows the fire smoke this way, which it's going to happen again, um, I mean, just because of weather conditions and everything else, what can people do? Well, so uh, several years ago, you probably remember the uh, Colorado fires, and uh, we had a lot of uh, contact with some folks that actually lived there. In fact, one of our real good friends lost their a family cabin from the uh, Colorado fires. They lived in Colorado, but they also had a, a separate place, which was their cabin, and it just burned to the ground. And when, as soon as those fires started, we sent them some proactive air purification technologies. And I don't know how much you want to talk about that, or if you've got other people you want to talk about those, uh, those technologies, but, but I'll tell you that I'm convinced that that's one of the first things that somebody could do to deal with the particulates and the chemicals and the odors, something holistically, proactively that could be put in the environment to actually purify the air. So I think those two, to me, those two things kind of go hand in hand. One is uh, do the best you can to seal up uh, the environment with, again, weather stripping, caulking, uh, saddles on the doors, exterior doors to close up the thresholds and keep those tighters. Uh, put on insulators on the electrical outlets to make sure you're not pulling air in from the uh, wall cavities. Those kinds of things to me is absolutely a first step. And then the second step would be make sure that I've got really, really good air purification technology, something that's got a good HEPA filter, got a good per, uh, PCO technology or ionization technology that's going to get rid of those chemicals and those odors and those particulates. Uh, something holistically, proactively dealing with the air quality. That's where I would be. I, I agree with you completely. Actually, um, I did an interview for one of the segments with Michael Pinto. I think I may have mentioned that. And besides just talking about the sensitized individuals, we talked about, and I don't want to talk too much about the episode, but a safe room. You know, just like you would have for a tornado or a hurricane or a severe event going on, one smaller area that you can protect even more than the other areas. And that's something else you can do depending on your situation. You know, the the interesting thing about this is just from every kind of, like I said, I'm not a, a health uh, professional, but I do know that one of the reasons why we do so well when we sleep well is because when we sleep well, it builds up our immune system. It strengthens us when we get a really good night's sleep. And I feel the same way about our indoor environment. If I can create a safe environment in which I can breathe good quality, clean air, at least as good as I can, compared to what might be going on outside, or just like drinking purified water over a long period of time, when I'm exposed to that bad water at the restaurant or somewhere else, one time, it's not going to affect me because my immune system is strong enough to be able to deal with those uh, periodic times that I'm having to deal with contamination. So I think in the long run, it's creating a lifestyle 
in which I'm creating the cleanest, healthiest, safest indoor environment I can for myself in every way that I can, so that when those times come where I can't control the environment, at least my my defenses are up to a point and my immune system is strong enough that I can deal with those issues. And I think that's the idea of the safe room. Um, I'm big on creating a safe house. And I agree. Uh, you know, it's like layers of an onion. You just keep putting more layers of protection out there to help and keep you in the best possible situation that you can be in. That's right. So Mayor, I believe it was Adams from New York City, uh, talked about good filters or putting a filter in their house. Again, it's a step. It's a layer. But does they really deal with all of it? No, and I think that's uh, sometimes the wrong impression is left. I remember uh, back during COVID, you probably remember too, Dr. Fauci talked about going and getting a filter. Nothing wrong with getting a filter. I mean, a HEPA filter is a great, or a HEPA grade filter is a great uh, pro product to use to, to take larger particulate out of the air. In some cases, smaller particulate, depending on how effective it is. But um, in terms of indoor air quality, there's got to be something ad in addition to that that will actually oxidize a lot of the smaller chemicals and viruses and those sorts of things. So I, I think you've got to take it to the next level. And that's the idea of having more holistic solution than just uh, having a filter. I, I kind of laughed the other day, uh, Lance, I was looking at somebody that had actually built an air purifier. This was their concept of an air purifier. They took four filters and taped them together, large filters like you would have in your air conditioning system. They took four of them, taped them together in a box, like a cube, and then put a box fan on top of it. And they said, see, we're sucking the air through the filters and now everything's great. <laughs> you know, it's that dual track or partial logic that people fall into. You know, the people that were wearing the paper towel masks when COVID came out. See, I have a mask on. Exactly. Yes, you do. Is it doing anything for you? No. <laughs> and and that's kind of where we're at with this. People have to be very cautious as to their information sources. I mean, the Internet's out there for everybody. But somebody says, here's a widget that'll take care of this for you. Well, it takes care of a part of it. But is that enough? Is that enough for you to now say I'm wearing my paper mask and i'm going to go out into the smoke-filled environment because i'm wearing my mask yeah. it does nothing for your eyes or even filter anything so it it's a concern that you know people look for reliable sources of information you know and and think through the process again the dirty glass of water you know the the cloudy water you're not going to drink that but if i filter it the chemicals are still going to be in there yeah, right. you're just not going to yeah. see the sediment that makes it look bad. Same thing with the smoke. Um, <clears throat> the statistics as of now on the fires in the United States and in Canada separately, they both burn between six and a half and seven and a half million acres of forest a year. It's a massive amount. To date, not even six full months through the year, Canada's burned almost nine and a half million acres. So it's one and a half times in six months instead of 12, what they've burned so far. Uh, California right now has had a shift in weather. Uh, I was just talking, like I said, with uh, Dan from California. And he says that the weather out there is gorgeous. 
it's cooler. It's not that hot, but that's going to change, you know, and this is just what's happening. Um, in the Northeast, we haven't had rain here in three and a half, almost four weeks. It is bone dry out. Mm. You know, a small brush fire right now could become a very large concern. And uh, again, the air quality, the ash that's already out there, the film on the cars, the film that people keep stirring up when they walk out there. We're still breathing that, even though it looks nice out. So yeah. keep that in mind. Well, I wish people would talk more about indoor air quality and uh, as much as they talk about outdoor air quality. Because again, uh, indoor air quality is something that you can control. Outdoor air quality, a little more difficult. Well, you know what? The biggest problem that we've always talked about with indoor air quality is people become nose blind. Five minutes in your environment, you don't smell the odor that somebody coming over would say, oh, what is that smell? You go, what smell? What are you talking about? And outdoors is completely different because it's so large. It's not where you feel closed in and you're breathing, which is fine. The only time people complain is when they see the yellow forming on their cars from the pollen, you know, when those pollen seasons hit. But other than that, people take it for granted that it's always going to be there for them. Yeah, yeah. That's the false sense of security of the paper mask or it's always going to be good until it isn't. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I think we've got an opportunity to address this in a very positive way. And the truth is, is that if people would create, take the time to create cleaner, safer, healthier indoor environments, uh, that's going to be long lasting. And that's going to help them in a lot of different ways when the next issue comes our way. Absolutely. Doug, I appreciate you spending the time with us here today. And, great to talk um, to you. And we will chat again in the future. All right, man. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.